You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Pride of Detroit podcast, Locker Room Edition. We are doing a live show on the Locker Room app where we're answering your questions, Q&A, mailbag, whatever you want to call it. We're going to be answering questions for the next 45 minutes or so. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I am the editor-in-chief of Pride of Detroit. And with me today is my two co-hosts for the Locker Room app Q&A session. Ryan Matthews is here. Ryan, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure I get you in first because I know you don't like being third billing here. No, that no. See, I just I just want like the uh, I want the like the little tag, you know that like the uh, you know the famous actor who's trying to make a rebound gets like the you know with or and, I you know at the exactly. See, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, I'm happy to be here though. It's always good to get a chance to talk to talk to everybody and and have a good discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And with us for the second time. The new managing editor of Pride Detroit, Eric Schlitt, is with us as well. Eric, how are you doing today, bud? I don't mind uh, having third billing. That's oh. uh, I'm comfortable with that. That's fine. Truly playing for the the name on the front, not on the back. Not to say that Ryan isn't. <laughs> I 100% am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, in, in case this is your first time listening or if your first time here uh, live with us, um, you guys are just free to answer questions. You guys are kind of going to steer the conversation I know I called it the free agency Q&A, but it doesn't necessarily have to be about free agency. If you've got questions, if you want to know about restructures and, and things like that, uh, we can talk about all that sort of stuff. And why don't we start there, since we do have a little bit of Lions news to talk about. Um, let's start with the Jamie Collins restructure. Um, we don't have the full details of it yet, but we kind of have a general idea of what it's going to look like because these things happen so often. Um, let's start with you, Eric. Is this a move that surprised you at all? No, I actually didn't. Um... I, I, he's when you look at the the contracts that they have on the roster, uh, he was one of the biggest three, and so there was an opportunity to uh, gain some space by by working uh, a potential restructure. Well, uh, you know, moving into avoidable years here and this, w- w- with what they did, but like you only have so many options that you can look at for this type of move. So, um, you know, he was one of four players that I think are in this boat where they're uh, of a restructure with the Lions. Uh, Ryan, I know we had a discussion about restructuring last week, and you weren't a huge fan of it. Um, that that changed at all after looking what uh, a restructure might look like with Jamie Collins? I thought a restructure with Jamie Collins was kind of interesting, just because um, you know. Well, let, let me let me back up a step. So, like, I found it to be interesting before I knew about the voided years, mm-hmm. because I thought you're really going to restructure the contract of a linebacker who's a little bit longer in the tooth. And you're kind of, you know, pushing that can down the road to say, Hey, Jamie Collins is a, is a guy that we believe in being a part of this team, you know, um, 
more long-term than short-term, like that, that interests me. That surprised me a little bit. Um, even with his, you know, I just think we got so used to like middling linebacker play that like Jamie Collins was like, Oh, what a revelation. Um, that, that's not to say he's, he's, he's not serviceable there, but um, I, I did find the restructuring a little bit surprising, but then with the voided years, I, I was like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense, but um, you know, we didn't even bring up his name uh, on the podcast, Jeremy. So, you know, I, I think that that was a little bit surprising too. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I think I think I kind of overlooked the whole adding voided years things because it's it it's kind of a new phenomenon in in the NFL, and we just saw the the Saints do it with Drew Brees, um, and so you didn't really look at Jamie Collins necessarily as a guy you could restructure because he only had one extra year in the contract. Now, again, we don't know how many voided years they added um, based on the report from I think it was uh, Tom Pelissero, I think oh, no, it was Mike Garofalo. Um, he said uh, he he gave an indication that it might be multiple, and so if that's the case, well then. Yeah, I get it. Like now you're stretching it over three more years, essentially, because he's he signed one more year plus the two um, voided years, and and that means you're paying for him, you know, between one and two million for for one or two seasons that he's not even here, which is frustrating, I guess. But when you consider that the the salary cap is probably going to be over two hundred million by then, do I really care? No, I I really don't. Well, uh, well, I, do you, do you not care? And Eric, I'll, I'll like get to you. I actually, I, I want to. Uh, throw this question to you like does it um does it really matter because or i mean is it so important to do this now just because of the constraints that brad holmes is probably feeling with the with the salary cap being lowered yeah i mean you you only have so many ways that you can create cap space and and looking at these uh potential restructures is is an easy way to do it now i I think the trick with collins with only having one year is by using the voidable years, it actually softens the blow um, instead of like pushing everything to next year. If they would have done just a, a typical restructure, he would he, his uh, cap number next year would have been like 16 million, which would have been really unacceptable. And so by adding the voided years, you're not going to have that big of a restructure. And, and the more voided years you add, the easier it is going to be to pallet this um, this restructure. So. Yeah, I, I think this isn't the only one we're going to see either, uh, because of the the way that uh, the way that the cap is going to react this year. So, unfortunately, it, there's going to be just a a, um, a big blow to how the salary cap functions, and I and I think there's going to be uh, a lot of restructures this year. There's going to be a lot of veterans that are going to get cut from uh, other teams this year. We're going to see some on the Lions as well. So uh, teams are going to have to be really creative. This is just the nature of what 2021 is going to look like. Uh, Nick Coscarelli from our, our text chat here asks, who else do the Lions restructure in order to sign John Johnson? Uh, I, I guess this is a good point to, to bring up the what I think is impending Jared Goff restructure. I think it has to be based on that huge salary cap he's got. It's a very easy way to really create a lot of cap space. And because he's got that long contract, you can really spread it out and, like you said, kind of soften the blow. Um, Do you think that's definitely going to happen, Eric? I I, I think there's two that make a lot of sense, and golf is one of them. Um, You're looking at freeing up 16-plus million um, in a a simple restructure and – 
realistically, because the Rams have taken on so much of the the dead cap from Goff's contract, not the guaranteed money, the dead cap, but because the Rams have taken a lot of that on, um, the Lions can afford to create some of their own to free up cap space now without having that big of an impact down the road. So, um, yeah, I do think the Goff one is probably going to make sense. And realistically, it, it all comes down to how long do you view him as being a lion? I think the front office views him as being a lion for at least two seasons. And if that's the case, your uh, a restructure now doesn't create that much dead cap after two seasons. So I, that's why I do think it probably gets done. Yeah. Um, Ryan, I know, I know we talked about this a lot last week. Um, I, I guess my, it, is your main concern just that, like, why why is it that important to create cap space now when you're you're kind of chewing it in this this year? I, I think I think for two reasons. I think for for one reason, yes, as you just mentioned, like, what's the point of really clearing so much cap space if you can go to guys like Jamie Collins or some of the other names, like, um, you know, maybe maybe even might be somebody like Justin Coleman that you want to restructure with or, or, or you know, whoever it may be or Vitae um, or even Trey Flowers. But, um, you know, why why go to a guy like Goff if he doesn't really fit in long term? And I know, you know, uh, you know, Eric just mentioned that if they do do a restructure, I mean, that's guaranteeing that Goff will be your quarterback for at least two seasons. But I just don't see the pressing need if you can go around to some of these other guys restructure, find a way to get, you know, um, underneath the cap. Because if you think that a restructure for Jared Goff was going to happen, I mean, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there, but like, don't you think he might've been the first domino to fall? Well, you can't restructure him because he's not technically a lion yet. Oh, so, right. But, but once he, once he officially becomes, I, I don't know, like that, that officially happens on what date again? 17th of, uh, so St. Patrick's day. Okay. So, I mean, like that's not too far away. Mm-mm. No, I, I, I think I, I, I look, the reason that I think these restructures are going to happen is because not because they're trying to be competitive now. It's because of uh, uh, like the we, the question uh, asked from Nicholas, how do they get a guy like uh, Johnson who they want to be on the roster in 2023? You can't get that guy without creating some sort of uh, competitive, you know, in, in order to be able to work in free agency. Look, by just by restructuring golf. You could now franchise Kenny Galladay just with the, the money that that Goff creates. So if 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 getting Kenny Galladay franchised and then extending him long term is in your plans, you need to create space for that. If getting Romeo Aquara on a like a, a four year five year deal, you need to free up some money. And so you got this is a, a way to do that. Getting a guy like Johnson or maybe a Marcus Williams in free agency, you got you have to create some sort of money. So I don't think this is a let's restructure to be competitive in 21. I think it's let's re, let's restructure so we can get guys long term, uh, some other guys long term deals. All right. One of the cool things about our locker room app is that we can bring some of the fans listening live onto our show. And we got two people that want to get in on here. So let's start with Nathan. Bring Nathan. Bring Nathan. Can you hear us? Hey, yeah, I can hear you. How y'all doing? Good, Nathan. How are you, man? Good, man. Hey, I just want to say I love y'all's podcast, man. Um, it's amazing how much you guys talk about the Lions. I'm from Texas. I'm not a Cowboys fan. 
Good for you. Um, I, I grew up a Barry Sanders <laughs> fan. Um, I've been a Lions fan for 34 years of my life. It's been up and down, mostly downs. <laughs> yep. And, you know, um, losing Stafford, uh, I'm not going to lie, really hurts. It's not. It's going to be weird not seeing number nine on the Lions jersey. I mean, in the Lions TV. So, but you know what? Everything's got to happen and everything's got to change. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this restart and see where it goes. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate the kind of words, Nathan. I, I do yeah. think it's definitely going to be weird. Just it, It's going to be a new era of Lions football that we're not Yeah, yeah. And I think, to me, the weirder part is going to be just seeing Stafford in a Rams jersey rather than – Oh, man. I, know. I don't know what that's going to – I don't know what emotions that's going to conjure up, but I'm kind you of – you, you know, I'm really excited for the culture change. I think that they've got the right guys. I think that – you know, bringing in golf for two years is not a bad deal at all. I mean, if it doesn't work in two years, we restart and get a different quarterback. Um, I just want the Lions to be competitive. And I think we've been competitive most of the last seasons. We just find ways to lose at the end. Um, and that's probably the most frustrating thing being a Lions fan. <laughs> yeah, no question. I, I think I think Matthew Stafford alone really made the team competitive for the past, what, 10, 10 years or so? Oh, yeah. And yeah. so that's that's what makes this whole new regime change scary. But uh, let me let me open it up to the other guys because I think that the whole mm-hmm. thing is is something that I think has been a, a big topic as of late, really since, you know, the new guys came to town. Um, is that something that you guys are excited for, think was necessary? Because, I mean, I, I, a lot of people say, you know, the, the ultimate equalizer in culture is just winning. You win and, and the culture is there. Um, do you think it's important to get the culture fixed up first? Let's go with you, Ryan, first. Um, yeah, so this is a th- this just seems like it's been a topic of discussion for how many years now? Because <laughs> I mean, when when you know Patricia and, and Quinn come in, um, it seems like it's all about completely tearing everything down to you know its base and then building it back up. So it seems like the Lions have been building a culture for how many years now? But I I think I can safely say that this feels a lot more. Um, it feels a lot more nuanced for some reason. You know what I mean? Like when, when it came to Patricia building a culture here in Detroit, it felt like it was founded on a lot of just like ill-conceived principles where it seems this new regime that's come in with, with Spielman, even a guy who's old school, like Spielman, but this culture change doesn't feel like the same one that, that, you know, Patricia and Quinn tried to instill in in the line. So I'm with you, Nathan. I think it's really exciting that, the Lions are um, the Lions are heading in this direction because it seems like it's uh, with the best intentions possible. I think bringing in Bob Quinn and bringing in Patricia, they tried to bring in the Patriots' way and the Patriots' perspective. But the truth is, the Patriots' way is really Bill Belichick. It's not it's not the the, the organization. It really falls upon the coach. And you didn't bring the coach to the Lions, and so it failed miserably. And bringing in a guy like Dan Campbell, I'll say this about Dan Campbell, man. Every time I watch his, 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 his speeches, I just take something away from him. And I don't think I've ever said that from a Lions coach. Like the one about, he says, like a true alpha knows when to concede for the betterment of the team. I was like, hell yeah, man. <laughs> That's the kind of attitude I want to hear from a Lions coach. Yeah. And I'm just so excited, like what he's going to bring to the table like, I'm going to be excited for every press conference he gives, even after a loss. Like, how he brings his team up, how he galvanizes the troops for the next game. I just I, – I, 
I think this is going to be a really good sign um, with this coach. He's just so genuine. He's so real. He's charismatic. I mean, I, I didn't know this about this guy. I mean, so I, I'm, I'm totally excited about this guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he certainly seems to check all the boxes in terms of a leader. You know, he, he I mean, he throws out all these quotes, too, about what it means to be a leader. And, and all mm-hmm. of it makes a lot of sense. And I would say it, it actually almost kind of reminds me of just like a a Jim Caldwell on steroids type thing. Yeah. Jim Caldwell was a, a fantastic leader and, and also a guy that, you know, would just spout philosophically in the middle of a press conference, you know, talk about, um, you know, certain yeah. you know, points. Campbell's got more fire than Caldwell. Yeah. Caldwell was more even keel, very, it's, you know, very, very on the, in the box. Campbell yeah. definitely is outside the box. And I love that about him. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Nathan. Well, I appreciate you joining us. I uh, appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad uh, glad to hear from some fans that that are excited, and I think you're, you're definitely not alone. I think we, we're definitely hearing from a lot of Lions fans who know, you know, the stark reality of 2021. Mm-hmm. Going to compete. I do. I do. I do have one quick question, and then yeah. I'll let y'all debate it. Sure. Um, do you think the Lions should take a run at Matt Milano because I think he would be a great coverage linebacker um, to go along with Jamie Collins? Um, do you think that we could possibly make a try to make a, a, a run at him? Um, in free agency? That's a good question. And I think there was, I don't know if it was PFF, there was some article that suggested that he'd be a good fit here. In oh, yeah. I'll start to Eric. Uh, what do you think about Matt Milano? Yeah, I think he'd be a terrific fit. The problem is going to be the money. Um, you've ar- you're already paying Jamie Collins a significant amount of money in the next two years and to, and to then throw another $13 million, $11 million, whatever it's going to be at another linebacker, I think is, uh, it's a lot of investment. But he's younger, right? Uh, well, he's 27. So, okay. um, he, he's, he's younger than Collins. Yes. Uh, the, the issue just becomes, are you willing to invest, you know, twenty million dollars plus into he's two linebackers? In he's no, no, coverage. <laughs> I, I hear, I hear you. And, and if you didn't have Jamie Collins and you were looking for a linebacker to invest double digit money in, yeah, a hundred percent. I think he'd be a guy that he'd be he'd be one of the top two guys in free agency, a hundred percent. My concern just becomes the money. Um, can they can they afford to invest that much money at the second level? I, I, that I don't know. But fit wise, yeah, he'd be great. Yeah, and uh, Spotrek has his projected market value at thirteen point eight million per year, which is a pretty good chunk of change uh, for the mm-hmm. linebacker position. And uh, if Jeff Risden heard that the Lions were spending that plus Jamie Collins's contract on the linebacker position, <laughs> that would probably explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I have a, I have an interesting question that I want to throw to you and Eric, uh, Jeremy. But you know, when you when you talk about the financial investment you'd have to make in a guy like Milano, who you know plays off ball linebacker, but can be an asset on all three downs, how do you weigh that value versus a lot of mock drafts that are like, "Ooh, hey, maybe Micah Parsons at number seven. Like, would you rather spend the money if if the Lions can create a viable cap? situation would you spend the money on a proven guy like milano or would you take a guy at number seven in the draft like like micah parsons you want this jeremy or you want me to take it go for it (laughs) okay for me i i think that's one of the reasons why micah parsons isn't as high on my list as others but if you are interested if you're the lions and you're interested in adding a second linebacker um 
yeah, I think there's a fair debate between are you do you want to invest salary capital or do you want to invest draft capital? In, in which direction do you want to go? Uh, in the scheme that we are anticipating, they may they basically use one linebacker on the field all the time, and then they use a series of linebackers in, in part time roles. But if they were trying to shift to two full-time linebackers, uh, then there is an argument to be made for investing either salary or draft capital in a second linebacker. And that could mean Milano. That could mean Parsons. For me, uh, I'm not – I don't want to – I don't want to take that route. I don't know if the Lions do, but personally, I think that you can – with the the way that the the specialty defenses and the way that they're adapting, in my opinion, I think you're better kind of spreading it out with a, a variety of players uh, at that linebacker level. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Nathan, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate the yeah. Hey, never- keep, yeah, keep it going, man. I love this, man. I, I love you how you involve the the listeners, man. I, I think this is a great idea, and I hope you keep it keep it up. But thanks, guys. Keep doing good work. You too, man. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to bring up another speaker here. we got a, a nice little cue going here. Robert, let's bring you aboard. Can you hear us, Robert? I can. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. How are you? Doing well. Um, so just wanted to just give a quick comment and then a question. Um, just on the last conversation, I love seeing um, Campbell just kind of crush it on Dan Patrick and Pat McAfee this week. That yeah. was a lot of fun. I actually went back and watched like uh, – uh, Bob Quinn's presser when he got hired. It's nice to see just like the collaborative effort versus like Bob Quinn uh, when asked about Jim Caldwell's f- future was like, it's my decision. Mine alone, mine. Just reminded me of like, uh, it's like some movie or show was uh, like Bobcat Goldblitz was like, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's nice to not have that personality. Yeah. Um, but my question, so you did a really awesome write-up on um, moving back for additional draft picks. Um, I think it's probably like maybe the most aggressive scenario to just get as much draft capital as possible. Yeah. Um, with the Collins restructuring, getting the extra um, potentially $3 million in caps carry over that field EH reported, do you think that um, – you know, do you think we'll we'll need to be as likely or as aggressive in draft, or you think we can hit free agency um, maybe a little bit more to fill those gaps? And um, you know, do you see the value in moving back as much as as that might that article kind of suggested could be possible? Yeah, and uh, it, it's an interesting question about like, and it's hard to really know with with what the value of everyone's going to be in free agency. Is everyone going to be kind of seeking out these shorter-term deals because they know teams are cap-strapped and, and might only be able to shell out a certain amount for one year and they maybe want to head to free agency in 2022 and, and get a bigger deal. Um, but, yeah, I think I think we the topic needs to kind of be raised here. Do the Lions now have enough cap room to, to be at least a little aggressive and, and maybe score one, one or two big free agent signings like the John Johnston thing? And it, it's hard to know just kind of juggling all the numbers uh, right now, but Eric, I know you do a good job with your sp- spreadsheets. What's what's the forecast look for you in free agency? Are the lines going to be able to make a, a splash signing or two? 
in my mind, I think they that's the goal, right? Uh, I think they're going to be looking at somebody that at least one, maybe t- two players that they can get on like five-year deals that are younger players that they can invest in. And everyone's talking about uh, John Johnson, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a 26-year-old safety who plays at an extremely high level. He's going to know the scheme. He's a former captain. Uh, I, there's so much to like about him uh, bringing into the system and, and really the, like to go off of Ryan's article this morning, I, I think safety is going to be one of the priorities uh, for this organization. So, yeah, I, I do think they're going to have to do that. Now, in order to do the, get flexible enough to go after a guy like Johnson, they're going to have to do restructures. They're going to have to make some cuts. We're going to see a lot of that happen this, this upcoming week. Right now, as they sit, they're about $8 million over the cap right now, a little bit over $8 million. But we don't know what the Jamie Collins restructure is. Jamie Collins restructure could bring that closer to, to zero. And then uh, as cuts come in, that could free up $20 million. You know, As restructures come in, it could free up another $20 million, realistically, depending on who they target it and, and, and why. So they're going to end up with you know, $30, $40 million, I think, when it's all said and done, where they can go after – trying to retain Kenny Galladay, trying to retain uh, Romeo Aquara, trying to go get a, a Johnson. And maybe, you know, maybe they can f- go after one more guy and then the rest of the capital will be used to to fill in the roster here and there with veterans. I do think getting aggressive in the draft is um, is still in the cards. Like, you know, that, that we mentioned at the, that you mentioned at the top of the question here. But um, again, I think it's all going to be geared. All the big moves are going to be geared towards 2023. Yeah, Ryan, why don't you hit the back half of that question about the, the, the Lions and, and, and the draft? And, you know, do you see, I, I guess, and, and, and maybe this is a, a different question, but do you think really free agency impacts the draft at all? Like, even if they go out and get a guy, you know, a couple young guys, 20, 25, 26-year-old guys, sign them to long-term deals, does that change what they do in the draft? Is the goal still accumulate as many picks as possible, given where this team is currently at? Well, I, I think... I think there's already a move that Brad Holmes has made that's going to, you know, have me answer that question as like, no, I don't think free agency is going to impact the draft because, you know, getting a guy like Tyrell Williams, you know, whatever that may mean for Kenny Galladay, I don't think that changes the Lions draft strategy at seven if a player like Jamar Chase is is available. I think you 100% go out and get a guy who's going to be a number one wide receiver in the NFL. So, I guess to parlay that into the same question, because, you know, who doesn't love a good parlay, but like the, the number seven pick, it's going to be so critical that a quarterback is available because I just don't see a team in a season where the salary cap is going down. I I don't see a, a position of value that's going to be worth moving up to that number seven spot that isn't a quarterback. So the lions, I mean, it's really dependent upon what happens in those first six picks. Um, you know, if, if one of those top four quarterbacks I think are available at seven, all of a sudden, yes, it makes a ton of sense to move back, especially in this draft, especially with a, a Lions team that has so little talent on it um, and could stand to be upgraded all over the place. So that's the ideal situation. That's the ideal scenario. But I don't think that free agency will have much of an impact on on how Brad Holmes attacks this draft because this team needs so much depth everywhere. You brought up a really, really good point, and it's one that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. Um, obviously, when you're discussing trading in the draft, you have to look at it from both sides, and you're right. Like A lot of teams are, are struggling to stay against the cap, and the, the easiest way to, to really build your team in, in a cap-friendly way is through rookies. 
And so I'm not sure a lot of people are going to be willing to throw away draft resources this year to move up unless, like you said, one of those top quarterbacks are there. And I have I have to imagine it has to be one of the top four. I don't think anyone's going to be moving up for a guy like Mac Jones. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think you, you brought a, a lot of good points up there. Appreciate that. Uh, anything else, Robert, before we move on to the next guy? Uh, no, I'm good. Thanks for everything you guys do. And uh, mozzarella sticks are delicious. <laughs> oh, you snuck that one in. Kicking him out. Get out of here. <laughs> All right, let's bring up a, a next. Uh, let's see who's next. I think Nick. Nick was next. Let's bring our good friend Oscarelli. Nick, how you doing, buddy? Great. How are you? Good, man. All right. So I've been hearing this talk about Micah Parsons at seven, mm-hmm. and I just want to know why everyone think that everyone thinks that's going to happen when the Rams and the Saints have not prioritized linebacker in the draft at all. It's a good question. Uh, I, I know that's one that uh, our good friend Jeff Risden has talked about a lot. I don't know. I, I would say, personally speaking, I mean, you just the. I think part of the reason you don't see it is just like we're looking at a pretty low sample size of, of guys. Like, there's not a ton of top tier talented linebackers that you would consider, you know, a, a top ten talent in, in previous years. And the ones that we have seen, really, they've kind of been good, right? And I know, you know, we're still kind of figuring out what the scheme, the lines are going to run, whether it's, you know some hybrid of the Saints and, and Rams and. And looking at their past draft history, those guys might not have been there. But, you know, the Rams also weren't drafting in the top 10 very often under under Brad Holmes, at least recently. Um, certainly same with the Saints. So, I don't know. I To me, it's just kind of sample size. Um, I, I understand that, you know, we're not just talking about the first round sometimes, too. You know, in, in the first two days, they haven't really prioritized linebacker. But, you know, it, it, it still has to do with the individuals, right? And so, I don't know. When, when we're talking about a guy... That, that to me is a top 10 talent that, that can do a lot of things, not just cover, not just, you know, be an off-ball linebacker. He can, he's really shown a, a good amount of pressure um, in, in the limited amount of times they, they sent him. So I don't know. I, I, I get it, but um, I, I still think it, it needs to be on the table for the Lions. Am, am I wrong, Ryan? Um, I don't think you're wrong just in the sense that, you know, I, I thought you brought up a, a great analogy um, on Twitter. It was like, I think like a couple of weeks ago when, when this whole off-ball linebacker debate started. But it's like, if you go to the grocery store, like, yeah, you know how the entire store is mapped out and you can plan your logistic plan of attack. But like at the same time, like, you know, you need to get everything on that list. So like, just go get it. Like, it, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether or not you get the pasta before you get the pasta sauce, like. I mean, you need both of them. So, like, the Lions, they, they have a need at linebacker. Um, it's just whether or not that value is there. And I think that Eric has really, um, you know, driven home this point, and I completely agree with him about the value at the top of this draft is that, you know, the skill positions, whether or not it's a quarterback or a wide receiver um, or <clears throat> a tight end. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's – that's got to be the Lions' approach in the draft. Yeah, look, I, I think Parson gets a lot of the hype because there's not a lot of other defenders in this draft that are going to challenge him for that top defensive spot. Um, and then you look at the fact that the Buccaneers just won the the Super Bowl with two very good off-the-ball linebackers, one of them that was taken before the Lions took Hawkinson, right? They took him at uh, six or five, something like that, right? Yep. And so um, 
it it's very it's going to be very in vogue to start looking at these off the ball players earlier than what we've seen in the past and so when you uh, but again yeah like Ryan just reiterated it's I think the talent is on the offensive side of the ball it makes so much sense to go offense and and while there are these if if you want to go back to your analogy of the grocery store look you're going to need an off the ball but you're also going to need uh wide receivers and you're going to need you know uh skill players and maybe in in this draft it's where are you going to find the value which one which one is going to be on sale and i think that's where you, you it's going to come down to like where they end up making their decision fair enough fair enough anything else nick before we move on yeah, I just would like to say that I think the value of linebacker in this class is on day two with um, sure. a couple better options than spending a top 10 pick on someone like Micah Parsons, especially yeah. if you have just restructured Jamie Collins mm-hmm. and made him your primary linebacker one for at least two years now. I think that if you're going to spend a draft pick on a linebacker, I would wait for that. That's fair. I, I, w- I would argue that Jamie Collins is not really going to be part of the long-term plans regardless. I think I think he plays out the two years and then he's gone. But, but yeah, it, it's a point to be made for now. Like you don't, It's not like quarterback where you want your linebacker sitting on the bench for two years and then you play him. You, you want you know, an instant impact, especially if you're taking him seven all, overall. So um, fair point to be made. Um, all right, Nick, uh, we'll bring on our next guest. Thanks for, for joining us. Always good to yeah. hear from you, buddy. Thanks for having me. Sure. All right, let's bring up Mathis. Mathis, you are on the show. How you doing, dude? Doing all right. How are you guys? Good, good. Yeah, so um I just wanted to talk about um the 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 cornerback group or really the secondary in, in general. Um because I saw a lot because I see a lot of articles saying, Oh, we should we should cut um, true font, which I agree with, and we did obviously. Right. Um, but then also saying we should cut Justin Coleman. My problem with that is um, the the Justin Coleman um, cut. As last time I checked over the cap was like at about five million. Mm-hmm. Well, any slot receipt, any slot corner that you would that you would get um, would would be would be worth at least that maybe probably even more so i don't see what's the benefit in cutting him and people are saying maybe a post post june one cut Mm -hmm. and that's like okay well either you have either you have to hope that there's a corner who will wait until june one but that's that might that's that doesn't make much sense and then also but then if you have all that if you don't go free agent are you expecting a rookie slot corner to just come in and play? I'm not sure how likely that is to happen, especially with with corners just seemingly have a need a season to to adjust. I guess. What do you guys think about that situation about our cornerback group um, and how to build the depth in that group?
I think that's a, a fantastic question because I think the Coleman potential cap casualty cut is a lot more complicated than Desmond Trufant. I think that one was straightforward. Justin Coleman is tougher because you're right. It's not easy to find a nickel corner in this league. And by all means, Justin Coleman is a good nickel corner. He just hasn't been for the past two years. And there are a lot of Lions defenders that really underperformed in the past two years. Made you think maybe the issue wasn't with the players. Um, but yeah, just to, to go over the finances real quick for those that aren't familiar. He's got an 11 million cap hit in 2021. If they cut him, the Lions get about 5 million of that back. If they do the June 1st thing, they get 9 million back this year, but they don't get it until that June 1st designation. And it's also important to note that money just doesn't disappear. You don't just get an extra 5 million. Um, that 5 million would then count against the 2022 cap. So, um, that's what a June 1st cut does. So yeah, let me throw it to you guys. What are your thoughts on potentially cutting Justin Coleman and maybe solutions if the, if the Lions do decide to go that route? Well, I'll tell you what. For me, I still think he's very much on the chopping block, and I understand a lot of what Mathis is saying. Uh, the the issue for me is just he he's not worth eleven million dollars. Um, it's he's is he the fourth the cat the the money says he should be the fourth best player on your team, and he's and he's not to me. And in all honesty, he's not even a full time player. He doesn't play a hundred percent of the snaps. He plays uh, last year. It was like in the 70s uh if he even got to the 80s you're still paying the fourth amount of the fourth most amount of money to a guy who doesn't play every snap and, and and to me that's that's not how you allocate your resources i like the idea of a june 1st cut because it does free up money now and it does free up money later uh but even if you um you know, are only freeing up $5 million. I do think there are options in this draft or in this free agency period where you could get a guy for about that money um, or maybe even less. Uh, a couple of ones that I'm going to point out um, have ties to the coaching staff. Troy Hill uh, was a nickelback with the Rams just last season. He played uh, in the 90s, right, because he also was – he had to play outside for them as well. He's a guy – now, he's 30, so he's not part of your long-term plans beyond a couple of years, but he's a guy who – you could bring in at a cheaper cost and um you know he can hold down that uh he can hold down that position keep in mind he's also going to be if it's a rams uh secondary that they're adapting a lot of the same schemes from the Rams secondary there's not going to be that adaptation period that you're talking about with a rookie he's going to be able to step in and play if you don't like if you want a cheaper cost uh nickel roby coleman uh who was with the eagles last season had a bit of a down year uh, prior to his time with the Eagles, he spent three years in the Ram system as their nickel corner. And uh, if you look at his PFF scores, he was above 74.2 in all three of those seasons he played nickel for them. So he's another option that I think they're going to be able to uh, get at a cheaper cost than what you would have for Coleman. So if you lose Coleman and you replace him with one of these guys, you might actually make a little bit more money and you're paying uh, an, a more appropriate uh, price tag for the position. And then it gets you out of um, – you get you out of the Coleman contract for next season, which I think often gets overlooked is that Coleman's also signed next year at that high of a price tag as well. So um, there's some, I, I, that you have to take the whole contract in consideration when I think uh, you're making this decision on Coleman. Yeah. And just to, to add to that, Troy Hill by uh spot track is, is 6.3 million average annual salary per their market value calculation. So that would pretty much take up, pretty much all the savings you get from from cutting a guy like Justin Coleman. But again, you're, you're getting a, a little bit younger and you're getting a guy that, that knows the system. Uh, any Anything else to add, Ryan? 
Uh, I mean, just I think it was last week when we were on the locker room app that we talked about the uh, the value that's there um, for the cornerback position in the draft later later on in day two. So um, was it Elijah Molden that you had mentioned, Eric? Yeah, Molden in, on day two uh, is a guy that he can he fit. The guys that I'm looking at are guys that can be uh, nickels, but they can also potentially be play at the at the safety spot if you need them to. Like they can be a third safety as well as like a third corner. So Molden is a guy I like on day two. Um, Sean Wade from Ohio State had a really down year uh, when they forced when when Akuda left. They've put Wade on the outside and he struggled on the outside. But when Akuda was on the outside and Wade played nickel, he was terrific at Ohio state. And I think if Wade's going to fall to day three now, and he's a guy you could bring in, put inside in that nickel uh, kind of hybrid role. And he's a guy I think who has long-term value. So like, yeah, if you, if you get a guy like Troy Hill, who, you know, has like a, a one or two year, uh, if you have one or two year plan for him, then you draft a guy like Sean Wade, who then you can, you know, take that, what Mathis said that you need a couple years to develop. You, you're going to get the best of both worlds in that situation. And then the, the, the last, Maybe this might be the most desperation option, but, you know, the Lions are going to have to make some kind of cost-cutting moves that uh, might not be as popular, might be, you know, lower-talented guys. That, that, As Dan Campbell said this week, they're going to have to take some lower-talented guys that are gritty, and I would say one of those guys is a guy like bringing Daryl Roberts back. Um, I know I kind of sold you on the deal on that uh, idea uh, a couple weeks ago, Eric, but yeah. he's a guy that play inside and outside. He's a guy that... You know, he was really the, the Lions' highest-rated corner last year, uh, according to PFF. Granted, that grade was a 54.3, but, um, you know, he, he can he can do it. Um, and, and he's really only a couple years removed from really having a, a, a fantastic season that, that got him a big contract. So um, if the Lions are going to cost-cut at, at nickel and they are going to get Justin Coleman out of here, I think Dale Roberts kind of makes sense as a guy who can replace him just for the time being. Um, all right, Mathis, anything else before we move on to our next uh, speaker? Uh, no, I think that's about it. You guys answered my, answered the other question that I was going to ask um, about for, about the draft. But, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, appreciate you joining us, Mathis, for the question. Let's bring – oh, we no, we don't have another speaker in the, in, in the queue at this moment. So let's head to some questions that we had from uh, the Pride of Detroit site. And I actually, I want to go back to the culture question that we kind of started the show with. Um, Zen Master over on Friday Detroit asked, um, what would be a clear sign that the culture is beginning to shift or change? Would it be overall enthusiasm and happiness among players, players playing harder on the coaching staff, a, a signature win? Um, I think that's a really interesting question because from the outside in, it, it's probably hard to really tell. But at the same time, if, if the lines are putting – so much resources into um, building a culture, you know, building a culture task force. Uh, there has to be some sort of tangible thing that we see, right? Yeah, I think all those things need to come through, right? I, I, honestly, I don't think it's just going to be one of those things. I think it's going to be a collection of those things. And, and like you said, in all honesty, we're probably not going to know if the culture changes because I think a lot of the big shifts in culture are happening behind closed doors in Allen Park, right? right. Now, we talk about the fact that um, – 
the Lions have been working on their culture for a long time. And most of that action has been we're getting a new GM, we're getting a new coach. But what we're seeing now that's different is that we're seeing the management team is getting a complete restructure as well. You know, they're incorporating the business side of things along with the uh, personnel side of things, and they're trying to intermix that communication. And that's something they've never done before. You know, when you listen to fans talk about, you know, what needs to change when we've tried changing the coaching staff and the GM over and over, they always say ownership. Well, this is as close to ch- changing in ownership as you're going to get if you start intermixing the very level, the very top level of how the organization runs. And I think by doing that and bringing a guy in like Chris Spielman and having those uh, you know, have switching offices and, and changing how people communicate. That's a really where the crux of the culture change is going to come from. And so we'll hope, you know, if, if the culture is actually changing at that level, then you should see a uh, domino effect on the, the level below and the level below. And then hopefully you see some of those changes that, um, that you were talking about just a second ago. Yeah, it's interesting. And and we talked a little bit about it with, with Mike Rothstein on our, our podcast on, on Thursday. Um, but just all the things that Chris Spielman is doing is kind of insane. Um, he joined Tori Petri on their podcast this week, and he's talking about he was, you know, calling up season ticket holders who thought they were going to, you know, stop stop with their tickets. He, he's in on all these personnel meetings. He's interviewing all the coaches to develop this kind of profile that everyone can see so they know who's running the team. And then maybe most interesting of all to me was he also said he's breaking down linebacker tape. So he is truly that liaison between the business and the personnel side of the business. Um, and, and so it's, it's kind of interesting to, yeah, see that whole new dynamic structure uh, within the organization. And does it result in anything tangible on the culture side that we see? I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll see the ping pong table back in the locker room. That's, that, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really know what else to, to really – because I, I think, you know, the, the whole, like, signature win. Well, we, we got a, a couple signature wins under Matt Patricia. That, that Thursday night or Sunday night game against the Patriots, that was a signature win. But was that because of a culture change or just – I don't know. I, I, I think when you talk about, like, tangible results on the field, it, there's just too much going on to, to say, oh, that's because of a culture change. Um, I, think, I think the tangible things you see is, you know, I, one, one, I think you've already seen it in that, Look at the coaching staff this team has assembled. Could Matt Patricia have pulled off some of these signings? I don't think so. I think I think uh, Dan Campbell has done a fantastic job of that, and I'm eager to, like, I, I want to ask him straight up, like, how? How did you convince these guys to come here? Because it's not really that ideal of a situation for a lot of these people. With I think with a guy like uh, Deuce Staley, we heard a little bit about that because he talked about it this week. Um, in that he offered him a bunch of, you know, he offered him the assistant head coach job. So that gives him a whole bunch of responsibilities. It gets him prepared to be a head coach. But what about some of these other guys? What about Aaron Glenn? What about, um, you know, I, I don't know, just a, a lot of these coaches, it doesn't seem like Detroit is a great place to land if you're trying to, you know, jump to that next step because, I don't know, it's going to take a while to turn this thing around. And it's the NFL. It's not for long league. If you're a coach that has a couple bad seasons, you might be done. And so I, I think that might be a sign that the culture has changed a little bit already. Um, what about you, Ryan? What do you think? I, you know, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's it's going to be difficult to, to see um, or to really say that the culture is changing 
without like you know having it be so predicated on results like wins and and i agree with with eric too that you know it's going to be a combination of things but i think the one thing that you can um the one thing that you can look at on sundays and be like you know what the culture has changed is seeing some of the players from the previous regime improving and becoming better players and I think that's one of the that's one of the signifiers of a culture change is having players buy in. It didn't seem like Patricia's players 100% bought in because you know this this other coaching regime is w- without coming out and saying it like it's kind of like bad coaching why a lot of these players like just weren't in the right position to to make plays. So like I think just seeing player progression and player development from some players from the previous regime to, to, to this new regime will be an indicator of like, okay, I think the culture is changing because these guys that weren't making plays a year ago are making plays now. That's a really good point. All right. Before we close up here, we got a couple more speaker requests in the queue. So let's bring up Pierre. 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 Hey, Jeremy, what's up? Not too much, bud. How are you doing? Pretty good. I have a question for Eric since he's the draft guy. Eric, if uh, if you could pick between Trey Lance and Justin Fields, who would you pick and why? Well, I I think Fields is a guy who is uh, he's more polished, so you're gonna he's more of a sure thing, right? Uh, Lance might have the, the 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 larger upside, but there's not as much of a guarantee that he's going to pan out, right? So for me, I'm going to have Fields ranked higher. Um, based mostly on the fact that I, I'm playing the probability that he's going to be a more successful quarterback. I, I think both of them are going to be starting quarterbacks in the NFL in the next couple of years. Uh, I just, I, if I'm playing the odds as a GM, I'm probably, I'm going to lean fields on, on his, uh, experience and what I've seen from him on the field. Thank you. That's what, it. What about you, Ryan? How do you feel on that? Um, I mean, you know, you know, those guys are both my type. So, I mean, <laughs> either or, um, I do, I do like the idea of Trey Lance more here in Detroit for, for this reason alone. Um, Jared Goff seems like he's going to be the guy for, you know, at least this season and if not next season, but you know, that just seems like the perfect scenario, um, for what a lot of people project Trey Lance to be is kind of, you know, this project that you have to bring along slowly for a year or two. So the Lions offer that opportunity in and of itself by having a, um, you know, a safety net in Jared Goff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think Trey, I think in terms of landing points for Trey Lance, the Lions would maybe be one of the better scenarios for him. Um, and, and Anthony Lynn, Lions offensive coordinator, said specifically, I'd like to have a chance to sit a, a rookie quarterback for a year. And, and like you said, he could sit potentially two years. And we've seen that model certainly work uh, wonders for Green Bay. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Can, can I ask a, a quick kind of follow-up question? Maybe I just missed it in Anthony Lynn press conferences. But, like, on that point, Jeremy, mm-hmm. like, Justin Herbert just wrecked shop all last season. Like, what is Anthony Lynn's, like, thought process behind that? Well, he, I mean, he wasn't supposed to start, right? Right, it was supposed to be yeah, until he got stabbed. Yeah, until he literally <laughs> got stabbed by his own doctor. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think you know, he he basically said, you know, if, if the rookie quarterback shows in training camp that he's ready, then he's going to start. He's going to be the guy. But if he gets the opportunity, if, you know, a guy like Trey Lance, I would say, is, is not polished enough, as, as everyone's saying, then, yeah, I think that would present an opportunity where, 
this team and, and and let's be clear here, like this team wants to know what they have in Jared Goff if they don't think they already know that already. And they want to give him a fair opportunity to to really start and you know, everything we heard right after the trade was like, no, this isn't this wasn't the throw in the deal. This was a guy the Lions wanted. This wasn't them taking a, a salary cap dump or anything. So I, I, I do think, you know, in this situation specifically, Anthony Lynn has, has made it pretty clear that that yeah, they, they want to sit a rookie if they get one. All right, thank you. No problem, Pierre. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, let's get to our last two requests. Looks like we just have one. Unless I just missed one. Nope, Nathan. Oh, Nathan's back. (laughs) Nathan, what's up? Hey, Hey guys. Okay, so two quick questions. Um... Talk, could y'all talk about the um, other guard situation and the right tackle situation currently and what might be the plan going into 2021? And then what are y'all's thoughts on us drafting Waddle at um, at our at the current draft position? Uh, another really good question on the, the right guard, right tackle situation, and I think it really all kind of hinges on one player, right? Halapuli Vatibaitai. What is he to the Lions right now? He started out as really what it seemed like the Lions' right tackle plan of the future when they signed him when the 2020 season started, but then they shifted it inside, and it worked kind of well. I mean, not that he was playing outstanding or, you know, that, that Tyrell Crosby is necessarily the answer at right tackle, but do you guys have any idea what his what the Lions' plans are with him in 2021? Because I don't know. I, I, think, I see everyone kind of assuming he's going to be the guard now going forward, but... I don't know if that's as set in stone as we all kind of are are thinking at this point. Yeah, I, I want to kick this over to Eric just because I, I think I can add an, another element to this. But I, I saw Dane Brugler the other day. Um, he tweeted that this uh, this this year's interior offensive line draft class is just like not getting enough attention. Like he thinks that there's going to be plenty of like future starters in this group. So with that in mind, the Lions with you know you know, some extra draft picks and especially if they can accumulate some more, like does that, 
does that affect their plan at all? Like they, they have they have an opportunity to maybe get a a guard in the draft. Like you you keep Vitai at tackle, or or do you just bite the bullet and you you pay him tackle money to play guard? Yeah, look, that's the tough part, right? Is 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 how do they view him? And if they view him as a flexible piece that can be moved into two spots, then that gives them even more flexibility in what they want to do in the draft. Uh, yeah. Vitai Vitai is signed for. Um, what at least four more years, right? He got a five-year deal last year, so he's uh, he's got uh, four years left on his deal. Realistically, contract only has him on the lines for at least one more. Then they have a they it's even kind of get out of it. Uh, Tyrell Crosby's in the final year of his deal, and so you are going to have to make some sort of decision about what you do now. At I, the interior offensive line class is good. Um, I think right now I'm looking at like eight guys that I think could get drafted in the top 100, but the tackle class is even better. And, and there's a lot of tackles who I think are like Vitae where they can play tackle or guard. So if you if you get a guy, um, we, last week we talked about uh, Alex Leatherwood and, and Jalen Mayfield as, as kind of hybrid guys who were tackles in, in college but can play guard if they needed to. Um, if you are going to land a guy like that, then you know you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know which where does Vitae sit? You can kind of experiment with him, maybe experiment with a rookie. Uh, I do think offensive line is a position they're going to address on day two just because there's going to be so many options. You probably have you know eight tackles and, and eight interior guys to choose from, so there's going to be a, a wealth of players. Somebody's going to be there when you're picking either at uh, either at 41 or maybe at 72. You're still going to have a quality guy that you can add, let him compete for a spot uh, now and then put, pretend, maybe take over a starter role uh, next year. What do y'all think about Stenberg? Sorry, <laughs> no, that, that's the the guy I was. <laughs> He's another wild card in this situation because obviously the Lions drafted him high last year, thinking he would maybe eventually be part of that starting lineup. And even though we're we're in a different regime now, they are still bringing back the same offensive line coach. Hank Fraley is still their guy, so. Um, let's start to you, Ryan. What do you think is Logan Stenberg? I mean, I think too many people maybe looked at his rookie season as like a failure. I don't think the plan was ever to really put him on the field. So is there a chance he takes that year two step or is he maybe even a longer project or do the lines decide, you know what, this wasn't our guy. Let's find someone else. I, I think Stenberg, it's weird how, again, you can kind of bridge the gap between the two cultures, but they're just going about it in, in different ways. I think that Stenberg is a guy who, I mean, is 100% a Chris Spielman player. Yeah. Is 100% a Dan Campbell player because he is this gritty, um, you know, nasty, right? Yeah, just a tenacious player who can eventually, I think, become a, a starter. And, you know, there, there were so many things last season, I think. I don't think there was ever anything good that came out about Stenberg, Jeremy. And I think that really hurt <laughs> the perception of him amongst fans. Like, you know, in, in you know the limited training camp and stuff, like him taking snaps at center was just an absolute disaster. And like that, you know, it's like, oh, geez, like, you know, the Lions took took a complete culture player. And, you know, I'm shocked that Matt, Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn have done this again. So um, <laughs> I, I, I think maybe, uh, you know, fans were a little bit too quick to judge. And, you know, he also didn't get any benefit from playing, you know, in the same rookie class as Jonah Jackson, who like immediately just shown out as like 
being a player who can play now and, and has the potential to even get, get better. So um, I think Stenberg 100% deserves every opportunity and chance to, to be that guard opposite of Jackson. He will bite some kneecaps guys. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, well, I, I, really quick. I, I think he kind of, it's unfortunate for Stenberg, but like, I think COVID made it so like the, his PR team, suffered a little bit because yeah all we saw was the one or two weeks of training camp where the lines were moving his position around this guy's coming from a, a school where he basically did no pass protection and and we're dealing with the shortened off season so like everything was stacked against logan stenberg in his rookie year and then you know if we're being completely honest like basically no media showed up to practices during the season so no one got a closer look at how he progressed through the year, and that's just kind of something we'll have to see when training camp comes around. Yeah, I t- he he had to play center in training camp because of COVID. It's a hundred percent because of COVID. Yeah. Remember, remember, they had to have a limited roster of seventy-five when they would normally have ninety. So that meant instead of having three offensive lines to roll, you only had two. And then Bo Benshaw was hurt, and he was supposed to be the second line offensive uh, center. So with they literally didn't have a another center other than Joe Dahl and Joe Dahl was an expected starter at guard. So they had to play him at center because they'd had no other options. Right. And he was a left guard only in in, in college. He only played left guard his entire career. So, uh, but he's, his body type is a right guard. So it's, it's a bit unusual. There there was obviously a big learning curve for him. And I, yeah, as you pointed out, we have no idea what his development happened over the year. You know, uh, Fraley, look at what he did with Matt Nelson. Matt Nelson was a guy who we didn't think would make the team and then a year of development and then the second year again we think he's not going to make the team and then he does and then he's able to contribute actually in a rough kind of way he he was he was player of the game in that Bears game he, he's he stymied Khalil Mack single-handedly yeah. mm-hmm. I remember that game so uh, yes a year of development could push Stenberg into the two deep this year uh very much but we really don't have an idea um we won't know until training camp and that's that's the that's the the bottom line here is but could he take that next next step absolutely i think with jackson established at left guard hopefully they've been playing him at right guard in practices all last year i have to assume they were because they cross train all their backups that's what fraley fraley's always done that cross train the backup so uh, uh is the potential there yes will we is it there we have no idea and, and we won't all right, Nathan, we got time for one more call, so appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks, man. Uh, let's bring aboard – oops, pressing the wrong buttons here. Speed request. There we go. Jonathan. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. How you doing, man? Good. How about you guys? Good, good. Uh, so, quick question for you. Um, heard all this so far. You guys have great stuff on the podcast. Um, who are you guys looking for defensive tackle-wise? Like we were saying, like – both of the defensive tackles can honestly be cut, but overall, I think they need the use either way. So, who are you targeting, whether it's mid rounds in the draft or free agency? Another good question. I would argue maybe defensive tackle could end up being the team's biggest need if they do uh, obviously move on from uh, Danny Shelton and Nick Williams. Um, Eric, you got any guys you're you're circling? Let's start with free agency. Um, okay, so free agency. You're gonna. I mean, the unfortunate part is you're gonna pay for any of these guys in free agency, right? Um, Tyson Alualu uh, from who played with the Steelers last year. 
previously was a starter in Jacksonville. So there's a connection with him to wash and he's, uh, he's a good player. I, I think he's a guy who at age 34, you could invest in as uh, a kind of a stopgap guy that you're not going to have to pay, uh, in, you know, too much into, uh, the problem is, is there's not a lot of young talented defensive tackles uh in free agency right now i think i think you know leonard williams is the best one and he's 27 and i'm looking at my list here i don't see another guy under 27 that i'd be willing to to put a lot of money into so i don't think def- uh i that's one of the reasons why i think danny shelton ends up staying is because there's not a lot of great options uh in free agency after him so but could you go into the season with uh, Nick Williams, or if Nick Williams is a cap casualty, could you go in with Deshaun Hand and Kevin Strong and those guys? You could, and then draft a guy. And I, I think you can get a guy on day two who could contribute pretty early. Um, that's really where the sweet spot in this draft is for your defensive tackles. It's it's going to be day two. I don't think there's a guy – there might not be a first-round defensive tackle in this class. Um, you know, Barrymore is probably the top guy from Alabama, but I don't even know if he goes in the first round. And then it just becomes, is, would he be the guy that's the style of guy that they're looking for to play in that kind of, uh, three technique four I, or are you looking for someone who's just like, just a straight penetrator who's going to get back there and, and, and tear things up. So I don't know. It, it there's the, the, it's, it's a need, but there's not great options in free agency or at the top of of the draft to to fill the need. Ryan, it, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, no, like, yeah, I agree with you. And it's just like it's just going to depend on what Eric Glenn wants in his defensive tackles. Like, if he wants penetrating guys, it's not going to work to have Shelton. And I think honestly, I think Penasini made a huge step this last year. I know. It was like up and down, but for where he got picked in the draft, I think he's going to be a hell of a player, and I do see him as a guy that's starting. So let's say Shelton isn't cut, Williams is. You could roll with those two as your starting defensive tackles, but you're not going to get much pressure from them. They're going to be able to eat up a lot of space, but I think it's fully based off of what scheme Glenn's going to run with, and I know he said that he's going to do multiple and it's going to be based off a lot of things because he's run a 4-3 and a 3-4, but... I don't know. I guess it's just based off of them. And yeah, like you were saying, I haven't seen any good free agents that are young by any means. So I guess drafting somebody, where would you guys want to even draft a defensive tackle at? Cause like I'd feel okay. Third round, but nothing. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. I guess third round, third or fourth. Yeah. yeah for, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying it's tough because you don't really see the positional value there high at defensive tackle, unless you have one of those top tier guys. And as Eric said, this, this draft just doesn't have one of those guys. So yeah, I think, I think day two at the absolute earliest. I mean, you, you mentioned too, like Penasini, like guys that are pure run stuffers like that, you can get those guys maybe even early day three and, and potentially have them grow into starters. So um, if that's what the lines are looking for in a, in a defensive tackle, and they probably aren't, they're probably looking for, for some more penetrating type, um, you know, day, day late day two, early day three is probably where I'm looking. Yeah, you have an early day two, right? So, like, I think Bearmore is probably the guy if he's there at 41 that where the player meets value, right? Um, if he's there at 41, the rest of the guys, 
I don't know if any of them are going to be worth 41. And so then you're starting to look at, okay, who's going to be there at 72 or 89. And there's a handful of guys that are going to be in that range. Um, Maybe like a Jay Tuffy out of USC. I don't know. He, he's probably going to go higher than that. Uh, there's some nose tackles that are going to fit in that system. But the, when you get into that spot, it's it's guys that are going to be rotational. And, you know, maybe you're hoping that they can work with, uh, you know, Deshaun Hand. Or I, I didn't mention Cornell earlier, uh, you know, who really we've completely forgot about because he got hurt on the first day of training camp last year. Uh, but it's it's a tough spot it's a really tough position to try and find uh value in in a player no matter which way you look yeah i I have two free agency names real quick um one of them um who would be kind of categorized as you know you're not sure which guy you're signing but you're hopeful that you're signing the guy who um is the the healthy player that can produce but um sheldon rankin's I know he's, you know, more of a more of a run defender, but I, I think that he has the potential to be a better pass rusher. It's just injuries and, and, and limitations, but there's that Saints connection there. Um, and the other name, I'm going to say it because it would be so cost effective and it would give you it give you some juice. I, I'm all aboard bringing Sue back. I really am like 788 snaps that he played last season was the lowest total of his career, but it was the 11th most among all interior defenders. Like Sue is just a guy who plays and is dependable and you can count on him to at least be a, a semi-productive body at this point in his career. So like I'm, I'm all aboard bringing Sue back if he's interested. The, the only defensive tackle in free agency that had over six that saw over 60 61 percent of their snaps was sue and leonard williams and 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 so i i agree with you i think sue would work the problem is is you're he's a headhunter right now like you're paying for him to come in and uh you know fill a role and and i think that's going to be the only drawback is how much money is he going to be like wanting to sit on or how much money is he going to want to bring back but i mean look he's got ties to the community um i think he'd fill a need he'd be a, he'd be a, a good fit and no matter regardless of what the scheme looks for and so i i am interested but i i worry about that cost with him uh, that's the only drawback but i i'm with you ryan i i think he'd be a guy i'd be on the phone with at least you know touching base with to see what he's interested in, see if he's interested in coming back home yeah, I think, and I think that last point is, is going to be the one that makes that difficult, is that he just got a ring in Tampa. I think he wants to get another ring in Tampa. In fact, I think he's even cited that he wants another ring in Tampa. Tampa is, is in a tough situation in terms of the free agents. I think they have literally like 20 free agents, so it might not be uh, on them to, to really give him another deal, but I don't know. He He's a guy that has always chased money and rings, and Lions probably can't offer him either, so I don't know. He'd be fun, though. That'd be a lot of fun. I would enjoy sure. that. Um, all right. Uh, anything else, Jonathan, before I let you go? No, that's it. Thank you guys very much for letting me up here, and great work. Love your guys' articles and your podcast. Appreciate that, man. And I think yeah. uh, with that, we're going to close things up. We just passed over the, the hour mark here. So everyone here that, that joined us live on the Locker Room app, appreciate you. Appreciate all the great questions. We'll be back. I'm not sure when we're going to be back next week because I believe we're going to record the podcast next Saturday to, to preview free agency so that we aren't doing it right in the middle of the tampering period. Um, but be sure you're following us on all social medias. We'll be letting you guys know Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all that fun stuff. We'll let you know when we're going next live here 
or you can just listen to the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps or watch us live on Twitch. Uh, but until next time, Eric, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the great answers. And thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. We'll see you guys next week. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.